Crime Corner. I'm your host, Lisa Craven. This is episode eight, and will feature the case of Amanda Buckley and what happened that caused her life to be cut so short. The call you heard was made to 911 by John Shenfield on July 20th of 2007. He is the father of Jason Shenfield and that call was made after he went into his son's bedroom and discovered the horrifying scene in his closet. 
There is where he found the stiff, cold, and lifeless body of 18-year-old Amanda Buckley. She was wedged in Jason's closet under piles of clothes and pillows, and her body was wrapped up in blankets. When John found the body of Amanda, he wasn't sure what to make of the situation. His son Jason wasn't home at the time he made the discovery. Jason's behavior seemed odd that day, and his father recalled that he seemed irritated that morning before he left the home with his girlfriend at the time. His dad also made note that Jason kept locking his bedroom door behind him, which is something he normally didn't do. Unsure of what to do, instead of picking up the phone and making the 911 call you heard earlier, John, along with his brother, went to the home of Brian Gabriel. Brian was an attorney who represented Jason in the past. You see, this wasn't Jason's first experience with the law. Far from it. He was on probation for a robbery conviction he received in 2002. More recently, Jason was accused of binding and raping two young women he knew from childhood. Brian Gabriel was his attorney for that case. The charges of rape and kidnapping were dropped due to inconsistent reports and a lack of evidence. Knowing Brian's legal advice could once again help the family, his father was desperate, wasn't sure what to do, so he left his wife in charge of guarding the body while he and his brother headed over to Brian's house. Brian made a comment to the media about the visit and said, quote, At one point, they're totally distraught over what happened to Amanda. At the same point, they are wondering about the safety of their son. I was notified by Mr. Shenfield that something horrible had happened at his house. End quote. Sometime after seeking Brian's legal counsel, the now trio of John, his brother, and the lawyer headed back to the home where the body of Amanda still laid with only a handful of people even aware of what was going on. After they arrived back at the house, Jason was finally there. So John asked his son what happened to Amanda and why was her dead body stuffed in your closet? Jason responded with, well, she died of a drug overdose and he didn't know what to do, so he panicked and he put her body in his closet out of fear. Shocked and horrified at the discovery, this is finally when John picked up the phone and called 911. He knew who she was because she just accompanied him and his family on a vacation to Panama City, Florida just a few days ago. Medical examiners removed the body and brought her to the morgue for a formal autopsy. Amanda was due to start college in the fall at nearby St. Leo University on a softball scholarship. She was well known and loved in her community. Friends described the vivacious teen as compassionate and loved spending time with her friends and family. About 200 people gathered at a candlelight vigil for her after the tragic news of her death reached the community. She just competed in a softball tournament that weekend prior to her death, 
and her teammates all wore wristbands with her name carved into them. They all shared stories of the memories that will never die, unlike their dear friend Amanda. Teammates had a hard time taking to the field again, knowing that Amanda would never accompany them again. The mood was somber, but they played on because they knew that's what she would have wanted. She was a star infield player for the softball team at her Palm Beach Gardens High School for four years. Jason's brushes with the law date back to 2002. He was convicted and pled guilty to charges of robbery. He was sentenced to five years in prison, but the incarceration sentence was suspended, and instead, the judge ordered him to serve five years of probation. He also has prior convictions of battery and drug and alcohol charges. In February of 2007, just five months before the death of Amanda, Jason was arrested and accused of kidnapping, raping, and threatening two women he knew from his childhood. The women alleged that they were hanging out with Jason and drinking rum when they passed out and awoke to him binding them with duct tape and dragging them into his room where he sexually assaulted them. He also forced them to perform sexual acts on each other. The women had visible tape residue marks on their wrists where they claim he wrapped the duct tape around them to restrain them along with minor scrapes and scratches on their bodies. They also state that he used a long-bladed knife to subdue them during the attacks and threatened to sick his dog on them if they dare ran. Charges for the attack on the women were subsequently dropped due to a lack of evidence against the defendant. Likely this was due to the women being drunk and not having their stories straight. It's also likely because Jason was being represented by his now infamous attorney. In John's mind, if Brian was able to get his son off the hook before, maybe he could do it again. This is my guess as to why he decided to drive over to his house before calling 911 immediately. It is also likely that he knew Amanda was deceased because her body had been there for some time, so the appearance would have been that of an indication that she was past the point of revival. I'm not sticking up for him or saying it was a good reason to decide to drive to the attorney, but I'm just speculating as to what was he thinking at that time, because to me, it just seems like a desperate father who was clearly in denial. His son was already convicted of robbery, but somehow evaded time in jail for a five-year probation stint. He was almost done serving that stint before Amanda was found dead in his closet. It's likely his attorney, Brian, is well-paid and good at what he does. But not so good for society, though, at least not in this case. When police arrived at the Shenfield home to recover Amanda's body, they also noted several items in Jason's room that they felt might be of interest later, so they collected them. Those items were a backpack that contained ropes and several rolls of duct tape, a dog leash, and a belt. They also found pieces of duct tape in the garbage can of his room, and those were collected. In the meantime, Jason left his parents' home and took refuge in a seedy motel with his dog. While he was holed up there, he reached out to a former girlfriend via text and told her that he was laying low and she should come and see him that evening because she wasn't going to get the opportunity for a while. Jason also maintained contact while he was in hiding with his current girlfriend at the time, a girl named Mia. 
She's the same girl that he was with that morning when he left his home and his father discovered Amanda's body in his closet. She told police when they called where they could find Jason. He was hiding at that shady motel. She knew that's where he was because in addition to the booty call that he made to his ex-girlfriend, he also had Mia over. Investigators decided to speak with Mia about her relationship with Jason. In that meeting, they found out some horrifying information. That evening of July 19th, the night before Amanda's body was discovered, Mia and Jason spent the night in his bedroom alone, or at least that's what she thought. The two shared Xanax, sipped on some wine, and had sex all night. All the while, Amanda's dead body was just feet away from them in the closet. Mia wasn't aware that Amanda was there. She wasn't even aware that she had been in the room before. She did say that she was having nightmares and trouble sleeping that night. Looking back at it now, she can understand why. Back at the morgue, the autopsy of Amanda was beginning, and upon visual inspection of the body, they immediately felt foul play could be involved when they noted she had some duct tape in her hair and saw bruising on her neck and legs. She also appeared to have suffered some trauma to the head, and a violent sexual assault. Police tracked down Jason at the motel and detained him for violating his parole because they suspected he may have been directly involved with the death of Amanda. Nothing was confirmed until the autopsy was completed, but to be sure, they brought Jason into police custody while the investigation continued. He was held on suspicion of first-degree murder sexual battery, and false imprisonment. The relationship between Jason and Amanda was that of a friendship, according to her friends and family. Some friends of Amanda's were surprised to hear Jason's name because up until then, they'd never heard of him before. The two have known each other for about a year prior to Amanda's death. It is unclear how the two met, but Amanda's parents knew she was going away with the Shenfield family to the Florida Panhandle for a brief vacation, and they were okay with it. They knew Jason was a few years older than Amanda and that he was in his early 20s. Toxicology reports came back along with the coroner's finding for cause of death. They ruled that Amanda had been beaten, strangled, and raped. She suffered some traumatic blows to the head with blunt force, along with hemorrhaging on her neck. Her blood tests revealed traces of cocaine, Xanax, and Ritalin in her system. She had also choked on her own vomit at the time of her death, and medical examiners determined that although she had vomited, because she wasn't conscious at the time, her gag reflexes didn't kick in, and the presence of vomit in her throat was a result of her not being able to clear her own airway because she wasn't even awake when she vomited. It is likely it happened after death or as a result of being strangled, and therefore her cause of death was strangulation and ruled a homicide. DNA evidence recovered from the scene revealed that both Jason and Amanda's were both present on the tape found in the garbage can, the belt found in the backpack, and in Amanda's underwear. In October of 2007, 
A Florida judge found that there was enough evidence to prove that Jason was in violation of his probation he was on from the robbery conviction of 2002 and very well may be directly responsible for the death and rape of Amanda. Due to that, he was sentenced to 15 years in prison. In a separate trial, he was still facing a murder conviction that an indictment handed down by the grand jury said they were seeking the death penalty. Before the murder trial could begin, Jason decided to change his initial plea of not guilty to guilty. Interviews with his legal team revealed that the motive for the plea may have been to avoid the death penalty. Jason's attorney stated that, among that, the decision to plead guilty was also done to spare the parents of Amanda the humiliation and horror of a trial. The details of the gruesome way she died and the manner of sexual abuse she suffered was not something any parent should have to hear their child went through. Amanda's parents were also present and said nothing can make their grief subside, but they did not believe Amanda would want them to pursue the death of anything and made the following statement, quote, We know that Amanda would not want us to carry hatred within our hearts, as it would only contaminate the love we are surrounded with. Amanda left so much for us all to hang on to. Until we see her again, we will not dignify nor desecrate the wonderful memories we all possess by aligning ourselves with the hateful doctrine of death. End quote. Because the family wished not to have the death penalty and the fact that Jason ultimately decided to plead guilty, the judge sentenced Jason to the maximum sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. His sentence will begin after he finishes serving the 15 years he was committed to in his parole violation conviction. Coach Christy Wade of the St. Leo University girls softball team, who was drawn to Amanda's bright smile, said the following about the tragedy. Quote, she was taken from us before we really got to know her and see her daily. She was a bright young lady who was going to come up and do some great things for us. It's a tragic way to lose a life. End quote. Amanda's father, Tori Buckley, created the Give a Smile to a Child Foundation in Amanda's honor. It is to help children of tragedy-stricken families, and they have built a park, raised funds for a scholarship, and host an annual softball tournament, all in her memory. Gone too soon, but never forgotten. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.